This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to Trail Towns Radio with Paul Vanderplug and Dita Karsnes, the first bicycle tourism radio show in the world. Kia ora and no my hidey my key, Trail Towns on SEN right across New Zealand. And hello to everyone listening from Australia. I'm Dietz, and this is Trail Towns with the beast from Mount Beauty, Vandy. I was actually called the thunder from down under, Where but <laughs> this week we're going to tell you everything you need to know to plan your next bike holiday, where you should stay, the trails you should ride, and the places to eat. We'll be chatting to Olympians, Vandy, and Masters of the Microphone. Oh. It's all going to happen, and we're going to be finding out their best cycling and travelling tips. Before we start the show today, I would just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that we are on today, which is the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Absolutely, Vandy. Now, Vandy, who are we? Well, Vandy, I'm an obsessive cyclist, and in the 80s I was a model, and I actually fell off a catwalk at Billboard's nightclub modelling for Opal Menswear. <laughs> <laughs> a real Derek Zoolander. I really couldn't turn right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am a very accident-prone professional cyclist. So accident-prone, in fact, that I've broken my left arm four times. I've dislocated my right shoulder over 50 times. I stopped counting. And I've also snapped my right femur and have a big metal rod holding my hip together. I should have brought the gaffer tape in again this week just to hold you together, Vandy. Well, what are we doing now? We're now doing Trail Towns Radio after a successful stint on SBS doing Trail Towns Television. Wow, so good. And on this show, we're going to chat to Saya Sakakibara, an Olympic BMXer. And Lisa Leong, a real radio presenter from the ABC and a passionate cyclist. <laughs> and we'll be discussing how to travel with your bike and also behind the scenes of the High Country app, which is the episode where I'm from. And we're going to see what Jamo's up to this week. Oh, he's been up to so much. What have you been up to this week, Vandy? Well, the big news this week is we're coming out of lockdown yes. in Melbourne. Oh, it is so exciting. After what feels like forever, we're starting to feel like we can get out and enjoy life again and we can ride bikes again and we can go and visit our friends again. And so with Metro Melbourne being open, where do you want to go first riding? Well, really, you know where it is. It's either Listerfield or it's the Gorge and either or will do me just fine. But you know, what I've been doing is a lot of the sort of inner city trails. So I've been doing Yarra trails like three, four times a week. Yep. And if you know Melbourne, Yarra trails is just a fabulous little place to ride. But I've done the inner circle and the outer circle line numerous times as well. And you know what I love about the inner circle and the outer circle is that you get to see this sort of, it almost... Melbourne just unfolds before your eyes. So the inner circle line, you go from inner city, you can see the old broad gauge rail line in the road, 
and eventually you end up at Docklands and then you're at the Yarra River. Oh, it's stunning. You've done that? Yeah, I've done them all. I think the other good thing about those trails is they're within your 5K radius. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, it went to 15 eventually. So, <laughs> so I could do I could do the outer circle all the way up the eastern, but the outer circle is amazing too, up around Deep Dean. And ah, I just love that stuff. No, but also we've got um, Red Hill Mountain Bike Park at Arthur's Seat. That's now within the Metro oh. Melbourne Loop. So you can get down to Mount Martha and ride around those trails. So we can think bigger now. We how, can, we for just... those who have not ridden the the Red Hill Trails, how would you describe them, Bandy? Yeah, they're pretty gnarly, which yeah. in mountain bike chat, they're they're rough, they're raw. You have to have a really good full suspension mountain bike to enjoy the tracks. Yeah. There's a couple more Black Diamond Trails. They were actually going to hold the Gravity Enduro Mountain Bike Championships there this year. So that gives you a sort of scale of how good if you can hold a national championships at a venue like that. Mm. And these are legal mountain bike trails. Um, All the ones we've mentioned recently in the last few minutes are all Parks Victoria managed. So they're really environmentally friendly and they tick all the box. They engage all the traditional owners before they build any tracks and they try and make them as sustainable as possible. And the thing about Red Hill Trails is from the top Arthur seat, you have the most incredible view of the bay. But then if you ride the boardwalk from the top of the mountain bike park all the way down into Red Hill, you can then ride the rail trail down into Balnarring and go to Ciao Bella for the best pizza you've ever had. But we'll talk about that more a bit later. Now, <laughs> Bravery Trek update. We're doing a Bravery Trek. Trail Towns, we're gonna, you and I are going to raise 20 grand. We're going to ride 1,000 kilometres each. How are we going this week, first weekend? Look, it's been a slow start, to be honest, because I've packed up my life of living in northeast Victoria, and on the way... The van broke down and you had to bail me out. So it's been uh, it's been a bit of a mixed week when uh, it comes to actually getting some good rides in, but I'll definitely make up for it. Well, it's been a mixed week except for the fact for our amazing sponsors, Giant have put in an amazing amount of money, as have Tempest. So we're up to nearly 10 grand already trying to meet our target of 20. If you want to sponsor Vandy and I for Bravery Trek helping returned veterans, simply go to braverytrek.com. You'll look it up in the Google machine and you'll find where to donate your money, just type in Trail Towns team and you can do it. Anyway, that's that. What coming up right after the break, we are chatting to Saya Saki Can we cut this? <laughs> I lost the shit. Anyway, I'll pick it up. Coming up. Anyway, anyway, coming up right after the break, we're chatting. Anyway, coming up right after the break, we're chatting to the guest of the week, the giant guest of the week, Vandy, Saya Saki right after this. You're listening to Trail Towns Radio, the first bicycle tourism radio show in the world. You're on SEN with Dietz and Vandy for Trail Towns, and this is the giant special guest of the week. This week, we have a BMX Olympian who competed in Tokyo in the women's event. She was also a 2020 silver medalist in a World Cup BMX event in Shepparton, six-time national champion. It's none other than Saya Sakakibara. G'day, Saya. Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey, I didn't know whether to say hey or not. <laughs> well, like you. Yeah, that's fine. Saya, it's fantastic going, to have you on, on, our, on our radio show today. Saya, you grew up in Japan. What differences do you notice between the cycling culture here in Australia and in Japan? Yeah, I did grow up in Japan. I was actually born in Australia. There's a, a few 
little bios on the internet that says that I was born in Japan. So I'm really glad that you didn't say I was born in Japan. Um, but when I was about two years old, I moved to Japan because my parents' visas ran out. So my mom is Japanese and my dad is English. And yeah, so I grew up in Japan for about six years. I was just a normal Japanese kid, you know, loving school. And at the time, my brother, older brother Kai, he's about three years older than me. He was already into the sport of BMX racing and he absolutely loved it. And my parents just saw the passion in him that uh, he just wanted to just keep continuing BMX within Japan. So uh he just yeah we were we were traveling around the country and doing bmx and just being japanese kids but i guess in terms of the bike culture what i found really really interesting was when i came to australia when i was seven years old how how different it was between japan and australia so for example in this in japan the bike culture is actually really, really big because everyone rides bikes. So when you go, like when you grow up and everyone gets a bit, uh, gets a, you know, a town bike to go to and from school, to and from work, like everyone rides bikes in in Japan, sorry. Yeah, active <laughs> transport. Then, we love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, basically like a main form of transport in Japan. But then in Australia, like no one really rode bikes other than little like kids riding BMX bikes, like going through the bush, making making jumps and things like that. So I felt that, you know, even though in Japan there's this everyone rides bikes, like no one really knows about the sport of BMX racing because they're not really exposed to the BMX bike, if yep. that makes sense. And they don't. They're not exposed to the BMX bikes riding dirt jumps and things like that. Where in Australia, you know, when you when you turn six, seven, eight years old, you get a BMX bike for your birthday or Christmas, and you, you know, go out with your friends through the bush. And I feel like there's a better culture within Australia that kind of leads into, you know, those bike hobbies like downhill or you know, road rides, road bikes, and especially BMX racing where there's, you know, skate parks and things like that, that, you know, Japanese kids aren't exposed to. So I found that really interesting coming, yeah, into Australia. Yeah, well, I grew up building dirt jumps with my mates as a kid. I grew up on a chestnut farm and I picked up chestnuts all year and then I bought the most expensive thousand dollar bmx and i was only like eight years old and then we would get out we'd get out like a little cd player and run an electrical cord from the shed and we'd be just doing laps and laps of these terribly built dirt jumps so i'm assuming your training for like olympic level bmx is very different for our listeners what sort of training do you do yeah well definitely did start like that when i was a kid and, you know, I used to follow my brother to, you know, he used to love building BMX bikes with his, uh, sorry, BMX jumps around our town of Helensburg. Yeah. And yeah, I used to just follow along. But I guess in terms of like Olympic preparation, I think this, this year was my, yeah, it was my first time as an Olympian or going to the Olympic Games. And I never really put so much emphasis on 
training before in my life up until this point and really understood like the ins and outs of what is actually required through the week and why we're doing these things. But in terms of, yeah, like the scheduling for the week, I would do uh, three to four track sessions. So on the BMX track, whether it's just focusing on the gate starts or just focusing on skills or just focusing on those longer efforts. So we rarely do like a full lap. Yeah, because it's so intense. We just break down the track. Yeah, we just break down the track, work on, you know, short bursts and making those quality because BMX is like, it's only a 40-second race, but by the end of it, we are absolutely stuffed. Like, we are gone. Like, we are so tired. So, um, in a training session, we'll probably only get, like, if we were to do full laps, like three, four full laps, and then we'll be ruined. So, we just have to break down the track. And other than that, we'd... I spent about three days per week in the gym for about two hours. So definitely working on uh, strength in the legs and into power. So those that kind of power can relate back onto the track and getting out the start as fast as possible. And that is probably is the crucial, the most crucial part of BMX racing. Right? We've got to get out the front um, as fast as possible, which would give us the best chance to be you know, finishing the finish line first. So uh, I'm not sure if that's like the same kind of tactic uh, as like road racing or, you know, mountain bike racing. But yeah, for BMX with such a short, you know, uh, lap, we just have to really focus on, yeah, so much emphasis goes into that start, start hill. So, yeah. and in between is, yeah. So I think I, I trained five days a week. So two race days and one to two times a day. And yeah, and then even those on, on those rest days, it's not just the break from training, but really emphasis on you know, recovery and yeah, basically just getting ready for the next session. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so it's a real full-time job. Yeah. yeah recovery is so important. So you yeah. obviously were in the best shape of your life going into Tokyo and you've just said what an intense and incredibly tough sport BMX is. It was a it was a it was a difficult Tokyo for you, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, like as you can imagine, like all these athletes going into Tokyo, there was a huge you know, lead up, so much I it's like highly anticipated uh event for athletes as well as you know, everyone else, you know, it's been postponed one year and then, yeah, just having to like think about Tokyo being like my goal for so long was actually like quite tiring towards the end, if, if you can imagine. Oh, totally. And yeah, but on the other hand, like because I was feeling that way, I was like ready. I was ready. So I was, yeah really excited to go for my first Olympics and it was such an incredible experience like I was expecting you know a little bit of like a negative energy especially with all this COVID stuff and with the media portraying that you know most of the population doesn't want the Olympics to go ahead and things like that but once I got there everyone was so positive everyone was following the rules within the village um the the event just went ahead as normal and and for us like japan has actually like crazy hot summers like yeah. super super humid 
and like super hot and we were actually so lucky that we didn't actually have those days so it, it was actually quite bearable and yeah I was I was doing really good I had two days of racing so I, I qualified for, for the first day I started off with a rocky start I you know got caught up in the pack on the first race and got spot out um like out of the out of the BMX track and I really had to fight my way back but you know once I found my groove on on the second day I really yeah I was feeling good and I was like hell yeah this is good this is like my type of riding and I felt like I could do well but yeah on that last my last qualification into before the final um a US rider kind of jumped into me she she uh, collided into me into the air and we took us both out and we were coming first and second and um unfortunately I hit the ground and yeah I had a concussion so I wasn't able to or well, firstly I didn't make it through to finals because of that result and second um I was injured and I had a concussion so I couldn't race anyway so yeah that was really sad and really disappointing that my Olympic Olympic, you know, campaign had to end there and that way I really, yeah, put my heart and soul into this event. It's been so long and and for it to end that way was super disappointing. But, you know, like it's been a few months since then and I'm finally starting to see a little bit more perspective to, to know that, yeah, it's not the end of the world and remind myself that, you know, Tokyo Olympics wasn't going to be the end for me anyway like I was still going to keep going so you know it's just another event and I get to train again and look forward to the next race so overall like even though it was not the not the result that I wanted it was such an experience just to be there to be part of you know these COVID Olympics which is going to be going into the history books and yeah it's just going to be an experience I will never forget. Yeah, wow. BMX is such a hectic sport. But um, have you ever tried any mountain biking? Yes, I've tried mountain biking once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> so the first time was actually in Rotorua in nice. New Zealand. And that's probably like the best place to start, right? I'd it's say so. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I yeah, it took me a while to kind of get used to it because you know there's like rocks and roots like we went through like I know some trails and stuff it was super fun but I had to like you know trust the wheels that that will go over the rocks rather than in the with a BMX bike like where like our body is the suspension so you know it was like this mental switch to be like no it's okay I can just pedal over this rock and yep. I'll be fine rather than like stopping and be like, oh no, I'm going to fall over. So yeah, mountain biking. It was, yeah. <laughs> mountain biking's lazy. You let the bike do all the work. <laughs> Literally. So once I got the hang of that, I was like, oh, this is easy. Like, so breezy. <laughs> so I, I, um, I was up in the Pilbara a little while ago filming and went to the local BMX track in a town called Newman, middle of nowhere, right? And the kids of all the miners in this town were out riding every single night on this BMX track. I've always wondered people such as yourself, really elite level act, uh, uh, athletes who are role models to these kids. Do you sense that fact that kids look up to you? And and if so, what does it mean to you to know that 
you, you know, Olympics or not, it doesn't matter. You are a role model to these kids and you're showing them how it's done. What, I've always wondered, what does that feel like? Uh, I don't, I don't know. That's a, that's an interesting question, actually. <laughs> but no, I guess like you don't really sense that, and you kind of forget. I feel like I, I forget that people are watching, and I forget that you know when I post something on the Instagram, you know people are actually, you know, taking it in and reading what I write. Uh, so. You know, I guess in that sense, I do want to make sure like what I post on Instagram are, you know, either educational or inspirational or sharing experiences, things like that. But I guess, you know, I had I had huge role models when I was uh, going up and the biggest one was um, Sarah Walker from New Zealand. She was a silver medalist at the London Olympic Games and she, the way she kind of, obviously she was an amazing rider, um, and but the way that she carried herself like off track and she like took her time out of her race day to like talk to me on a couple of the races there I did in New Zealand. Yeah. And just with that 10 minutes it made a huge impact on me and the way no, she encouraged me to say like I'm doing a really great job. Like was just like stuck by by me like my whole, you know, growing up. So I guess like I I know and understand like the importance of you know those little chats with the next generation and make sure that you know I'm I'm encouraging girls and boys to you know try hard and yeah dream big because that's exactly what Sarah did and. Yeah, I think it's really important that I, I take the time to give back to everyone else. Well, you're a great role model, Sire, and thanks also for coming on. And thank you to Toby from Shimano for linking us up. So we really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks, Sire. Shout it was out wonderful. to Toby. <laughs> what a legend. <laughs> we love Toby. And so right after this, we're going to be chatting to Lisa Leong, and we're going to give you some tips on how to travel with your bike. You're on SEN with Vandy and Dietz. You're listening to Trail Towns Radio, the first bicycle tourism radio show in the world. You're with Vandy and Dietz, and this is Trail Towns on SEN, Vandy. It is. How exciting. And uh, we're on to the topic of the day, which is travelling with your bike. I almost never don't travel with my bike. Chloe hates it. Well, traveling with your bike, if you've not done it, seems like sometimes an insurmountable mountain. You're like Sir Edmund Hillary looking up at that big peak saying, I don't think I can climb that. But you've got a whole nation behind you saying, yes, you can. (laughs) That's what traveling your bike should be like. So we know probably better than that. It's all we do is travel with bikes. So when you're traveling with your bike, Fandy, the first thing is to have a proper bike rack, like on your car, for instance, is the most common way to travel with the bike. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we use Toulay bike racks and we use the on-roof bike racks, which you have the crossbars on. We have it on the Nissan X-Trail. And then we have the bike racks that go on the top. They either clamp the frame, but they have the pressure sensor or they go around the wheel. Or you can have a bike rack out the back, which goes on the tow ball. They're pretty popular as well because you don't have to lift a bike up onto the roof. And then if you have like a Navara like style car, you can put the bikes over the rear tailgate. So when we were shooting, we had a Navara as our backup car and we had six six bikes over the back of the 
tailgate. So there's heaps of different options which make traveling with a bike really easy when you're traveling within the country. Full disclosure, Tula is a sponsor of Trail Towns TV, but I've been buying Tula with my own money since 1990, since I started mountain biking. The reason I bought Tula was I thought they were the best and they are. Now, listen, why we say they're the best, right? I want to back that up. When I was 18, mum and dad gave me Tula bike racks for the top of my Nissan Pulsar, which some dodgy mechanic had converted to LPG gas. So Exactly, right? So Tula are great. So you've got the option of putting the bikes on the roof when you're going somewhere. Great. Okay. They're above you. They're kind of out of harm's way. If somebody forgets to brake behind you, they're not going to crash into you and damage your bikes if you've got them on the tow bar. But the problem is just two problems. Number one, if you've got an e-bike, they're too heavy to put onto the roof. So that's for your tow ball. The second thing is if you've got them on the roof and like Jammer was saying last week and you forget that they're on the roof and you drive to McDonald's drive-thru, you're going to knock your bikes off. So one little tip that I do is I always put my wallet or something on the dash in front of me in a safe place, but obviously there, so I know that the bikes are on the roof. When I forget, so when I'm driving along, I see something on the dash and I go, I know there are bikes on the roof. Like if you get into that hangry phase and you've been riding and you're really hungry and you just want to eat something and you just forget the bikes are there, boom, your bikes get really, you know, destroyed. So that's yes. my little tip there. Chloe and I get into the car and we say bikes on roof, bikes on roof, bikes on roof, three times each. And then we will try not to forget. But the other thing is when you're traveling, the new racks that they have with Tule is they're, they're custom made for e-bikes. They've, they've got a way bigger load, but they're still light enough to fold up and throw on the back and they've got the tail lights on. So they're great. After this break, we have Lisa Leong, and she is a legend of ABC Broadcasting, and she put us on her radio show. Yeah, she pretty much taught us everything we know. Which is, well, <laughs> more than we had before, Vandy. This is Trail Towns Radio on SEN with Vandy and Dietz, and right now, Vandy, we have an incredible special guest Lisa Leong is a passionate city e-bike rider and an advocate for this beautiful city, Melbourne, a radio national host, which means, Vandy, Lisa actually knows what she's doing in a radio studio. Yes, far more experienced than us, that's for sure. I know. And we met Lisa when Lisa invited us on her show on the ABC, it was the ABC Morning Show, talking about our TV show, Trail Towns, and we loved Lisa so much that we've asked Lisa to come on our radio show. Lisa, welcome to Trail Towns on SEN. Thanks for that great intro. I noticed it was shorter than Anna Mears, but that's okay. I'm okay with that. Oh, <laughs> she's done her homework. Okay, well done, well um, done. That's that my tip number one. Uh, Always figure out what you're in for, and I've done my homework on you too, and I know I'm in trouble. Oh, no way. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show, Lisa. We love having you on, and so let's get straight into it. There's a lot of love for cycling in the room, How did your passion for cycling develop? There is so much love in the room and I'm I'm showing my love because I'm actually wearing my jersey at the moment. And I've seen that Deet sometimes wears his. I'm just wondering what bike 
gear are you wearing right at the moment, you two? Well, I'm wearing an eight-speed Shimano cassette uh, graphic designed on my oh, right. T-shirt. I, I like how we're talking about visual things while doing just audio. I, I know. <laughs> you could say anything. And I'm wearing a one-piece Lycra skin speed suit. Yes, he's got one of my old world champs rainbow jersey skin suits from 2013. Let's say it's it's on its limits of its... <laughs> construction. <laughs> the seams are hanging on for dear life. Not really. I'm wearing a t-shirt, a giant t-shirt. Oh, Lisa, how come, How did you come to love cycling so much? Uh, so with my family, we used to go riding every weekend along the Yarra and it was just so much fun and probably one of the most exciting moments was one Christmas, I got a Morven Star bike. Yes. But it had white tires and so it was like this beautiful gift but I also got a little bit picked on for these white tires that oh, they had. White so, tires are cool. Well it is cool now but it wasn't at the time when you you know you didn't want to be too different so I used to ride my little Morven star with the white uh, tires and I used to see some other people's bikes you know the BMXs and the bikes with the really long seat that you had in the 70s. And I, I must admit, I was a little bit jealous, but I did love my wheels. Oh, so good. And you're very much still into cycling now. What sort of cycling do you do now? So I've sort of transitioned. I went from, you know, just sort of cycling for fun and then I actually picked up triathlons. And so I really got into the cycling part of the triathlons because I'm a really weak swimmer. So <laughs> I just went for the cycle. So my strategy was definitely to not come last on the swim, second last was fine, to gain on the cycle leg and then hold on the run. So it was all about, um, you know, training for the cycling and, and getting a really nice uh, road bike. And then after triathlons, I'm now in my electric bike phase. So I am loving what electric bikes can offer people, which is just this ability to access all areas, you know, if you get stuck and you're feeling tired, you know, you can just do a little bit less work. So I'm loving the e-bikes at the moment. We think, Vanny and I believe, that e-bikes are maybe the greatest thing that's happened to cycling because it allows everyone now to enjoy the sport. Tell me about riding your e-bike and where you ride it around Melbourne. We know that you are a passionate advocate for this amazingly beautiful city we live in. Tell us about riding a rebike and what it means to you and what do you reckon it means to everyone else that are going to have the opportunity to get into the sport? Well, I definitely know that the reaction I sometimes get to my e-bike is, well, that's not really cycling at all. And I guess my reflection on that is when I was riding my road bike, I was, you know, super fit and, you know, obviously hard and, and you know, just absolutely loved biking, but I didn't do it as much. Because I would think, you know, do I have time to get changed? Do I have time to, you know, will I be exhausted at the end of the day? And there are all these reasons not to. With the electric bike, I ride every day because it's just so accessible. If I am tired, you know, I can just um, do it a little bit less. And so, you know, what I would say about my electric bike is that I use it every day. I pretty much use it instead of driving now. So I use it for commuting predominantly. And I have sort of different ones depending on how much load I'm carrying. So good. I love that riding and chatting sort of dynamic you get with cycling. I always ride with friends, but uh, 
Yeah, I should ride alone sometimes to do some proper riding. Um, <laughs> and um, now we're coming out of this big lockdown. We can explore a bit more. Have you got any trail towns cycling holidays uh, lined up in the future, Lisa? Yeah, so I've got to tell you the story about um, cycling with my now husband for the first time. So I love cycling and I thought of this great romantic idea to get, hire some bikes and ride uh, along the trails of South Australia at the time together. And so we hired the bikes and we started riding and basically Darcy, my husband, just rode off. Like he just rode and he, <laughs> he basically <laughs> left me behind and he just kept on riding. And I didn't like say a word to him and then I caught him at the end of the trail and I was like, oh, that's not quite the ride <laughs> I thought romantic. we would have together. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I now go for tandem bikes and, and that's why I've got the electric cycle so that everyone's stuck with me for the whole duration of the journey. So good. So I, <laughs> I am thinking of a Tasmanian trail town holiday. Yes. Like me. Like a lot of people, I would say. Well, Tasmania is fantastic. I'm planning one at Christmas, Lisa. Where do you think you might be going? Um, so I've been looking at various e-bike tours that you can do so you don't have to bring your own bikes with you, but you can basically hire them as you go. And I've never really done the mountain bike version of electric bikes, but I hear that it's a wonderful experience. Have you tried? Oh, it's all we do. We, we I, I like riding my e-mountain bike at every opportunity. They're the most fun going around. Lisa, Last question, really. Melbourne is a beautiful city. We we love it. I love it. I'm born and bred here. We're, we broadcast into Sydney and Adelaide too. Cycling in Melbourne and these cities is really part of our DNA now. Um, you love Melbourne. You're a real big advocate for Melbourne. What do you think cycling means to this town and what do you think the future holds? I just have this mindful cycling practice when I ride in Melbourne because I remind myself at as to how good Melbourne is and has developed into a real cycling town. You know, I can ride from the Burbs, so I live sort of fair, a fair way out, like it might take me 40 minutes to get into the city, but I've pretty much got bike trail the whole way. It's incredibly safe. It's super green. I can just smell the incredible fresh air as I'm riding my bike and just taking it all in. Um, and it's developing. So most of the time I've noticed that, you know, the safety is increasing, there's lighting, it's super clean, um, you know, and I just love that. And also I've noticed that some of the areas in the CBD, which were just a bit hairy um, for quite a long time, like St Kilda Road and down some of the real main arteries, um, they have been changed so that they are much safer, safer for cyclists and you, you've pretty much got your own lane. And I just love that. And I know that, you know, people actually advocating for this and thinking about cyclists. And I think that's going to be wonderful for the flow as we all start heading back, you know, to the city and around the traps. I think this investment is really going to pay off. Yeah, there's a bit of a change in the air with the infrastructure, which is great. Unfortunately, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on. That's all we have time for. Oh, you were wonderful. You were a joy to chat to, Lisa. 
thank you so much. And yeah, we love the e-biking and it's nice to get out and about, especially wearing my beautiful jersey. It is. Well, let's all get out for a spin one day. And uh, I guess after this, Vandy, it's going to be uh, highlights from the road, from the high country episode brought to you by Nissan. And did I tell you my first car was a dat? <laughs> it surely was. You will be on the road with Nissan after this. Thanks a lot. You're listening to Trail Towns Radio, the first bicycle tourism radio show in the world. This is Trail Towns with Vandy and Dietz, and now it's our favourite moments on the road with Nissan. Brought to you by the beautiful Nissan. Now, this episode we're going to talk about is the Ride High Country, the episode, the episode up where you're from, Vandy. Yes, it was quite nice to actually travel around and just pretend I was on holiday where I came from. It was a totally different experience. I, I loved it. So we started in Wangaratta, went up the King Valley, Myrtleford Bright, across to uh, Mount Beauty and finished at Falls Creek. So it really was quite a little bit of a journey there, wasn't it? It was. And what was your favourite moment on that road? The revelations, Vandy, the revelations of Wangaratta being this foodie paradise, King Valley, just exploding with wineries and places to just check out and ride, actually. Myrtleford is being an incredible hub, which you can then use as the base for the whole region. I mean, there was just so many amazing things. And also, I I think we had a good flow of excitement because we know the area. You've spent a lot of time in that area, and I've obviously grew up there, but... I mean, places like Myrtleford, I'd never seen like the Mosaic Trail and we had a tandem bike thrown at us just by one of the bike shops. I know. I was, I was terrified <laughs> on that bike. It was just fantastic. What I, what I really liked though was checking the difference, the different mountain bike kind of parks as we went through. So what I want like you to do for me, Vandy, is explain to me in 20 seconds or less, Mystic Park, Big Hill, Mystic Park in Bright, Big Hill in your hometown, Mount Beauty, and the Falls Creek riding for our audience. So people that are thinking to go to this region, you can say, that's what Mystic Park is like. All right, Mystic Park. Mystic Park. Well, I describe Mystic Park as a lot of flow trail, a lot of machine-built stuff, all in the pine forest. It's got this really prestigious trail called the Hero Trail, which is a jump track for all abilities. So it's got different size jumps. And then there's these just really big carved-out berms. And then it's got a really vast network as well. So Mystic is just a good, solid venue to ride. Family stuff along the river, right? Exactly. And then... Big Hill? Big Hill. Mount, so, Mount Beauty, Big Hill. We're going to describe Bright as more like white bread. Like it's, it's everyone loves it. You can ride there as a beginner, intermediate, advanced, love it. Mount Beauty is more of an artisanal sourdough. Like it's a Ew. fine sort of... It's a fine feel. You need to be switched on. You need to have a little bit better technique because it's all hand cut. It's been raw single track and it's on the side of this huge hill. So you have to pack your own food and water supplies and it's just a a really good adventure. I love riding where I grew up, but some people find it a bit of a challenge. Like Chloe's like, oh, I'm riding terribly today. I'm like, no, you're riding at Mount Beauty today. (laughs) (laughs) And what about the secret? That is Falls Creek. So you go to Mount Beauty or Bright in summer and it's 40 degrees off and you go up to Falls and it's 25. Yeah, That's the secret. That's one of the reasons you ride at Falls in summer. Tell us about the riding at Falls. Yeah. So it's always beautiful climate, but then the riding up there 
it's all just sort of exposed alpine, like completely different sort of trail. It's it's really naturally flowing through the rocky sections, but they've also got shuttles in summer, so you can uh, get the free altitude on the shuttle bus. It is such a great region. We could literally talk about it for half an hour, or we could watch the episode again. <laughs> anyway, right after this, we have the great Jamar Shimano Terrific Top Tech Tips with Jamo coming up after this. You're with Vandy and Dietz, and this is Trail Town Radio. You're with Trail Towns and Vandy and Dietz, and right now it's time for Shimano Terrific Top Tech Tips with Jamo. Now, Jamo is the world's finest bike mechanic, Vandy. He's the publisher of El Bandito, the world's first mountain bike magazine in the world, and is a real grump, according to Canel Evans. Jamo, what do you got for us this week? Hey, dude. Hey, Vandy. How are we going? <laughs> Very good, mate. Very good. Now, we... now, I did. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go, mate. We I enjoyed the uh, interview with Cadell last week, and um, and you've hit the nail on the head. Grumpy. Huh. Okay. <laughs> so this week, I'm launching my campaign, um, Bicycle Mechanics Are People Too. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was saying you were grumpier than you were old. Like, you're quite a young, grumpy. <laughs> what is your campaign? Tell us about your campaign. But, I don't know where any of that came from. We're doing bumper stickers. We're going to be on Facebook and Google. And, you know, it's just to educate the public that bicycle mechanics have feelings too. You, do you feel mistreated okay. in the bike shop, Jamo? Well, where does the mechanic live in the bike shop? In the dark, out the back, and no one talks to him unless they need something badly. You know, <laughs> that's just how it is. Which, we can live with that, but we feel a bit unappreciated at times. So that's what we're doing. Anyway... Oh yes, um, and I'm counting on I'm counting on the support from you guys, full support. Oh, mm. we're in. Oh yes, where no, do we we're sign up? Very much in. Right. Now, Dita had a Thank question you. for you or a topic that he wanted well, to discuss. No, you're bringing a topic of the week. It's it's a comfort in bicycles. Is that correct? That's it. That's it. Now, tell me this first. How long have I got? Oh, you've got about uh, a minute and a half. <laughs> You guys have had an hour. <laughs> what? Hey, I what's, know what it's like. What have you been doing? <laughs> We've been talking. What's going on in there? I mean, what's the point? Look, <laughs> <laughs> it's just typical. Shoved in at the end of the program. Unappreciated. See, we've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> now, comfort. Now, big thing. You know, very, very common um, problem that people start riding. They're out on the bike, on the trails. And it's really uncomfortable. It's not like sitting in the car. It's a physically demanding activity. And number one, sore backsides. Now, there's a couple of things that you can do about that. First thing, make sure that your seat's nice and level. You don't want the nose of the seat sticking up in the air or, yep. or, or to be sliding down the seat. So just have a look and see if it's level. And the other thing that you can do is look at some sort of gel saddle. And any good bike mechanic can help you with that. So drop yep. me your local shop. Um, and and also a pair of nicks is something to consider if you if you're riding a bit and you don't have to have the lycra look you can get baggies that have a have a pair of nicks in them you wear them Dita I I well I wear I like to wear lycra but only to nightclubs. What I like to do is wear my baggies most of the time. Hey, listen, I've got a friend that refuses not to wear his underwear when he's wearing his lycra, like underwear under his lycra. And I'm like, no, that is no. not like what you do. But he thinks it is. Tell us about your opinion on that. 
No, he's completely wrong. <laughs> For once, Peter, you're right. <laughs> all right. Oh, well, yeah, thank yeah. you, Jamo. That's all That's- we got time for. Thanks, and remember, be nice to your bike mechanic. It's all over bar the shouting, mate. Oh, Vandy, I'm very sad right now. Thanks to Saya Sakikabara, Lisa Leong, and Jamo for joining us on this week's episode. And don't forget, you can reach us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, search Trail Towns TV, watch us on demand. It's amazing, isn't it? Now, congratulations to Jen Lamont for winning last week's question, which was banana and peanut butter, which oh. is the best thing you can eat right after you finished a ride. Oh, well, I mean, whatever you're into, really. Whatever you're into. Now, what is the question this week, Vandy? The, this week's temper question is, why do cyclists shave their legs? And you can have a creative answer or any answer you want. Send it in. And you know what you can win? A temper pillow, which I'm holding right now for the audience. Oh, it uh, feels good. It was originally developed for NASA, and this is a true story. Neil Armstrong, when he stepped on the moon, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, but not as good as my temper pillow. That's what he actually said. <laughs> well, me. I mean, they, they edited that out, I guess. They did edit that out. <laughs> now, remember, Bravery Trek, get on, Trail Towns team. You can support us and get some money for our veterans. And thanks for tuning in on this week's show on SCN. And we're going to catch you next week. And remember the podcast. Get Andy? on the podcast. And there's only one more thing to say. I'll see you later. Have a great week. Bye-bye.